You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Wednesday, July 19th. This is the bonus show because I went to work today for our uh, state of the company type meeting to show my face and <coughs> eat some lunch with some co-workers to whom I was showing my face. But now, <coughs> sorry, now I'm on the way home. I want to finish my work day from home and record the Christian commute while I'm doing it. I have not yet uploaded yesterday's show. I felt bad because I was I was on a roll there of uploading them on time. I got home and it was kind of late. I don't know. Maybe it was about probably about seven. And my baby was whiny and fussy, so I picked her up. She fell asleep on me, so I couldn't move. So I was stuck downstairs, but I was watching the Braves. I don't know what people did when babies fell asleep on them before smartphones. Because I guess you'd just be trapped there with a baby on you and you can't move. But that's, that's I, was, I was trapped. I was trapped under a baby. And by the way, if you're trapped under a baby, you ain't moving. Because there's no better place than snuggling with a baby. But that's why I couldn't upload the show. So hopefully I'll do a two-for-one upload tonight after I get done working. I do not (coughs) have full lung capacity, nor do I have a full show. Once again, no one has sent a question about theology or apologetics to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. That is SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you have a question about Christian theology or apologetics, send it there. Or... You can dial 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. Now, what do I have for you today? Well, I have a show topic. And today's show topic is from denominations to megachurches. From denominations to megachurches. And as always, we have the Bible chapter of you. And it's just one verse. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So Jesus is continually continuing to condemn the scribes and Pharisees through a series of woes. Woe to you because of this. Woe to you because of that. Woe to you because of this other. And I noticed while I was making my show note today that Jesus called them hypocrites again. So I counted it up. In this pericope of woes, Jesus calls the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites six times. He condemns them. Woe to you, you do this, hypocrites. Woe to you, you do this, hypocrites. Woe to you, you do this, hypocrites. 
So if you were to look <coughs> this term hypocrites up in Strong's Concordance, hupo, hupocrite, hupocrites, uh, that's it in the Greek. In classical Greek, it refers to an actor, like an actor in a stage play. And in their culture, the actors in stage plays, to indica indicate what character they were playing, they would wear a large mask. That's really not how we do plays today, but back then, the characters in the play, or the, the actors, would the way they would portray a character would be to wear a mask. And I, I don't know if it was because people couldn't see back then. I have no idea. But that's why they did it. So a hypocrite, an actor, would be someone wearing a mask, someone under a mask. And of course, Jesus was speaking figuratively. He wasn't calling them literal stage actors, but he was saying they were like that. That they were saying one thing and acting like another. They were pretenders. and They weren't sincere. They were under a mask. By the way, hypo means under. Or below. I have hypothyroidism. Well, no, hold on. Yes. Actually, my thyroid levels are normal right now because I'm taking my pills according to my doctor. But I had hypothyroidism. Some of you might have it too, which says your thyroid levels are not what they should be. In other words, they're under. If you have hypothermia, it means your body temperature is under what it should be because you're too cold. <coughs> so the, the, there's a combination in the Greek there. Hypo, krites. Uh, hypo meaning under. And the other Latin word actually means judgment. Uh, <coughs> I'm not sure how that came to mean a actor. But you, Jesus, Jesus is basically saying, you people are characters under a mask. You're phonies. And he explains all the ways that they're phonies. They're not genuine believers. And he condemns their proselytization. What do we evangelical Christians do? What do we do? What do we do? Especially we Baptists. We proselytize. We go and tell other people that they should be Christians too. We are not a you-do-your-thing-I'll-do-my-thing people. By the way, that's why the liberal churches and the mainline churches disappear. They, they, they give up on the inerrancy of Scripture. Nah. They stop believing in a literal resurrection. They stop believing in heaven and hell. Everybody goes to heaven if there is one. Everything's figurative. This is a nice way to live. They abandon the truth of Scripture. And so they're not incentivized to see a lost and dying world going to hell and want to go out and proselytize them by sharing the gospel. Oh, you know, the Muslims are okay, the Presbyterians are okay, the Catholics are okay, the agnostics are okay. Everybody's just okay. We're all children of God. And if you like what we're doing, if you like our sense of community, well, by all means, come join. But the uh, United Methodists are not sending circuit rider, rider evangelists out anymore 
to plead with people to get saved, those days are gone. So the main line disappears. Well, why in the world does the conservative evangelical, why are the Baptists remaining? Because when we show up to Sunday school, they'll give us a paper and say, check off how many people you evangelized this week. Guilt you into it if you're not sharing the gospel. Did you sign up for Tuesday night visitation? Now, ultimately, we know a lot of this metric stuff is so some associate pastor can meet his KRAs because he's been charged with growing numbers. Maybe they're hypocrites under a mask and they don't really care about evangelism. But when it comes down to it, the Baptist foot soldier, the Baptist pew sitter, we care about evangelism. The, the outro of this show is thanks for listening to the Christian commute. Get saved! Accept Christ as Savior. And now we live in a society, well, don't be judgy. Don't tell everybody how they should live. We go around telling people, you're living wrong, repent of your sins, and get saved. We proselytize, and it's viewed as a good thing. That's the Great Commission, or at least part of it. You go out proselytizing people, then you baptize them, and then you teach them to believe what Jesus said we ought to believe and how to live. But Jesus says that the Pharisees proselytize in vain. Pay attention to that word proselyte there proselytos in the Greek in the southern accent proselytos it refers to a proselyte so we have some transliteration English words like hypocrite and proselyte baptized is also one what is a proselyte a proselyte in that time would have been a Gentile who converts to Judaism not just inwardly but outwardly <clears throat> a Gentile who gets circumcised and starts keeping the Jewish laws that's a proselyte <clears throat> and he would have been differentiated between other faithful Jews because he was not born a Jew he was a Gentile who became a Jew because he accepted God and God's law and the things of God a proselyte by the way it would have been a good thing back in those days to be a proselyte. But that's where we get our English word, proselytize, to go out and, and make converts. So we're out sending missionaries, giving Lottie Moon offerings. We are witnessing to people here at home. We're knocking on doors. We're doing visitation. We're telling the people get saved to get saved on the end of our podcast. And then our churches are sending money to people who go all over the world to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we do as Baptists? What, what we, if we're not doing it ourselves, we're giving money to people who travel land and sea. They're, we're giving money so people cross land and sea to make converts. Tell them about the gospel. The Pharisees are doing that. They're crossing land and sea to tell people to be like them, to accept Yahweh. Jesus condemns their proselytization. He calls, because you're, you're going to all this trouble to make a proselyte, but he turns out to be twice as much as a son of hell as you. 
it's actually bad in your efforts. I'm not going to call them evangelistic efforts because they weren't sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's actually bad. There's cops everywhere today. Is this some kind of holiday weekend? Like, what's? It's not a holiday weekend. It's just July. I don't know what's going on. But I don't usually come to work on Wednesday. Maybe it's like this every Wednesday. But there are cops everywhere. Maybe they didn't make their ticket quotas over the 4th of July weekend. But I, I saw three or four cops on the way here. And uh, I've already seen two on the way home, state trooper and local. They're crossing highway and median to get my money and your money for speeding tickets. Anyway, going back to the Bible instead of the things that distract me. The, the Pharisees are so false that their converts are false. And Jesus condemns them and their proselytization. And he says they are sons of hell. The Greek word would have been there. <coughs> would have been Gehenna there. <coughs> Which we're contrasting with people being in the kingdom. They're sons of hell. They're not for the kingdom of God. They're a bunch of phonies who make funny phonies. Woe unto them. And with that, we'll end the Bible chapter of you. And Lord willing, Thursday and Friday, we'll cover more woes. But for now, let's move on to the show topic. At this time in church history, I think this time will be remembered in church history for this. Moving from the denominational age to the megachurch age. Okay. Now, as I talk about my denomination, the denomination that I'm from, I want to remind you it's not a denomination. The Southern Baptist Convention is not a denomination. It's a convention. Because you think in a denomination, like the United Methodist Church, there's shared authority among the churches or the hierarchy. In other words, the denomination has authority over the local churches. Same thing in the Presbyterian Church, whether it be the PCUSA or PCA. And the Southern Baptist Convention, no one, one church has any formal power over another church. So we like to, it's not a denomination, it's a convention. That being said, let's talk about my denomination. It was founded to leverage economies of scale. And even today, the average Southern Baptist church is less than 100 persons, 100 people. These churches cannot afford to put a full-time missionary on the field by themselves. So they pool their money together to the International Mission Board to send out missionaries. That's what they do. And they need one another to engage in cooperative efforts. And of course, when you become a cooperative organization, there becomes a level of bureaucracy and ra uh, waste. And people, I'm going to use the word grift again, grifting on the convention, people taking that money away. You guys, yeah, I wrote a book on how wasteful the Southern Baptist Convention is and how you don't need to just broadly give to it. There's another cop with somebody pulled over. But guys... Over, I think it's, it's like something like 90% of the national money of the Southern Baptist Convention goes to the International Mission Board to put boots on the ground in foreign countries to people where people probably have never heard the gospel before 
to, to save those people and help those people plant churches <coughs> so they're not a pagan godless society anymore. 90% of the money at the national level. At the state level, one convention could be better than another, but supposedly, supposedly those state conventions are help out evangelizing people. And I've always sort of had a hard time understanding, like, why they're taking 50% of the missions money at the state convention level, okay? Then they send 50% on to national. And national uses something like 90% of the money, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, to fund international missions. Okay, great. Well, we're sending people, missionaries out where there are no churches. Okay. Well, why are we keeping half the money in the states, in the state convention, like Georgia, which is a state full of churches? Like, we have people to evangelize here. What in the world are these convention people do? Well, they're wasting money. <coughs> you know they advertise on the Braves? Georgia Baptists are doing good things. Why are you advertising on the Braves to talk about how great Georgia Baptists are? (laughs) You're not selling anything that people buy. People are either a Baptist or not. What do you think? People are going to hear your ad on the Braves and think, oh, well, we're doing great things. Let me go join a Baptist church because of the 10-second ad I just heard on the Braves. I don't get it. But those, you know, that's who runs the convention. That's who thinks they're doing that. They think that's a good use of money. But like I said, this bureaucracy grows around it. And there's people taking money. And now they're writing books and doing conferences and stuff like that. And they're leveraging their position of influence in the convention to make money. The people who who are rising to the top. As Macho Man Randy Savage would say, the cream of the crop, oh yeah. All right? But we're moving into an age, the age of the megachurch, where the biggest churches realize they don't need the denomination anymore. Stephen Furtick was the latest megachurch man to realize this. So Stephen Furtick built his megachurch on his cult of personality. He really did not use his theological education learned at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If he did, he would not preach the heretical things that he does and jump around on stage uh, wearing $700 worth of t-shirts and jeans talking about building Legos. I've got Legos to build the kingdom. All right. He doesn't need the influence of the convention to pack out a conference. He doesn't need the influence of the convention to sell books and market himself and plant satellite campuses of his own church. And for that matter, neither does Rick Warren. Rick Warren's crusade for egalitarianism in the SBC after he was kicked out was was an ego trip, in my opinion. Like, how dare you disagree with me? I'm Rick Warren. But he, he doesn't need the SBC. He's got the best-selling book of all time, Purpose Driven Life. He's got multi-campuses. He's founding things like Celebrate the Recovery. That, that, that's in churches everywhere. He founded that. 
He doesn't he doesn't need a denomination to let people know that he's Rick Warren. He's not getting in, in, invited to do the invocation at pre- presidential inaugurations because of the SBC. It's because of what he's done and how big his church is and his influence is. And quite frankly, Mr. Pragmatist Rick Warren, if he needed the SBC, he wouldn't have started appointed lady pastors because that's what got him kicked out. He'd have just been under the mask. Who else doesn't need the denomination? Look at Robert Jeffress. Robert Jeffress, very influential. Southern Baptist, but does does he need the SBC? And his Dallas megachurch that he's built up with the multi-campuses? No. <clears throat> Andy Stanley split off from his dad's SBC. He didn't need the denomination. He just made his own multi-campus thing. Mark Driscoll and Bill Hywels built multi-campus organizations without that. Matt Chandler? Matt Chandler is a a Village Church's SBC, but, I mean, they have their own church planning network, Acts 29, that they started with Mark Driscoll. They don't need the SBC. And when you start thinking of influence, you're not going to be thinking of Lifeway. You're going to be thinking of the megachurch guys. The guys who are on the radio, not because they have influence in a convention, but because they've grown their megachurch. Hillsong comes to mind. Do you think Hillsong needs the Assemblies of God? Bethel, do you think Bethel needs the Assemblies of God? I think Bethel got kicked out of the Assemblies of God. But <laughs> like, what do you? How bad you got to be to get kicked out of the Pentecostal organization? And the answer is uh, Hillsong. I'm sorry, uh, Bethel. But they, they started in that tradition, just like arguably, at least nominally, Stephen Furtick started in the SBC tradition, but they don't need the denomination. They are denominations amongst themselves. Now, what's that mean for them? Well, I mean, how many sound churches have I mentioned? Talking about the people who don't need denominations. I guess the closest one to preaching a biblical gospel and being decent would be First Baptist Dallas. But it's a multi-site megachurch. How good thing can they be? And what's happened in the denominational world is the denomination exists to grow itself. You can, you, you can say it's one sacred effort to spread the gospel, but really in SBC world, the denomination exists to grow itself in the influence in the influence of the men who run it. Now, at the local church level, you still have people who are just trying to grow the kingdom. There's plenty of churches out there trying to do that. But what happens when the mega church or the, the local church becomes a mega church and it becomes a denomination? First Baptist Woodstock comes to mind. I would say the pastor needs a denomination there to to go on tour and get speaking engagements still. But that church, if it left the denomination tomorrow, people, people wouldn't leave it. It'd still be mega. But what happens when churches get that mega and become the denomination? Like, oh, it's about growing this church for the sake of growth. <clears throat> and about growing the influence of the leader. It's a brand. And that's the age we're moving in. I think we're in it. 
I think we've moved to that. What <coughs> what you might call the post-denominational age. I don't think I'm coining a term there. I think other people have talked about that. But we're getting into a post-denominational age where people are not aligned with the denomination and what it represents, which is generally a, a doctrinal system, a system of beliefs. Because it used to be like, if you're a Methodist, what does it mean to be Methodist? Back when they, the UMC held to doctrines. Same thing for Presbyterian. What does it mean? All right, well, you're pedo-Baptists who believe in predestination, and the Methodists are uh, Wesleyan pedo-Baptists, and then the Baptists believe in autonomy. Like, there, there was a distinctive. And it was based in a, it was a doctrinal distinctive. But now in the post-denominational age, it's really doctrinal distinctives are going away and they're getting replaced with the brand distinctive of large or mega local churches. You know, this is our vision statement. This is how we want to treat people. This is, this is how we want people to feel when they get involved or get plugged in. We were, we're in a sense of community and these are the things we're interested in. And one has to wonder, and I, you know, I don't know, does Elevation Church send out missionaries to far-flung places of the world? I mean, I have no idea. They got millions and millions of dollars. Are they supporting missionaries? They were only, and I say only, it's a lot of money, they were only giving $10,000 to the cooperative program, to the denomination, which is like not that much money as a percentage of their budget. But are the megachurches going to send out missionaries? I'll tell you this. When Stephen Furtick makes a, a proselyte, he makes somebody twice the son of hell as he is. Same thing for Bethel. Same thing for Hillsong. But it's really strange. They're not converts to Christ, I would say. I say they're converts to a brand. Now, the, the Pharisees sort of had a brand. It was the big tassels and the big phylacteries. It's not really popular to roll that way now. You want to, and the megachurches, I think, want to look like the world, not look separate and distinct from the world. But we're in a post-denominational age, and I think there's some advantages here from local for local churches who are not going mega. One, you can you can if your denomination is bad, you can start advocating leaving it and saying, "Well, we don't need that influence." You know, now we have the internet. Now we have... I mean, think about it this way. You know, even 30 years ago, even 20 years ago, mega churches couldn't have grown because there was no podcasts. They had the internet, but not like they do now. You couldn't advertise and grow like you can now through branding in a church. So the advantage for local churches is... Hey, do we really need this denomination? Do we really need it? Because there's some bad things going on. Maybe, maybe we can get out of it. Because the denomination is less influential. When the denomination becomes less influential in society as a whole, all of a sudden it's not so great of a tool for the local church. And if the denominational is corrupt or past the tipping point, like the SBC is, well now the local church can say, hey, it makes sense to leave, to not be a part of this anymore.
And there's also sort of a danger for the local church, where the local church before could say, we're a part of this massive denomination, this is how we're influencing society for missions. But, well, maybe now if the denomination is less, in, less influential, we need to go mega, we need to brand ourselves. We need to name our children's ministry something like Wombaland. Because we got to look like all these mega churches with whom we're competing. And we're going to get mega ourselves. Well, it's pretty bad when you go mega nine out of ten times. So the next generation of elders at your local church is going to have to learn to navigate in a post-denominational world. And hopefully you can protect your church from the trajectory of being mega and being multi-campus and being about some guy, the quote-unquote senior pastor in many cases, with a cult of personality. And you, Christian, doing evangelism and apologetics, maybe instead of doing apologetics, and I've been guilty of this, if it's something to be guilty of, maybe instead of doing apologetics for your denomination and why it's good and not bad, just do apologetics for your local church and the Word of God. And when somebody comes to you and says, oh, you're a part of this denomination, well, they're bigoted, they did this, blah, 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 blah. You know know what, I'm not going to defend the denomination. I'm just going to talk about what we do at our local church and how we try and get lined up to the Bible. And how all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe you can make a proselyte, and that guy ain't twice the son of hell. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. (coughs) Cough, cough. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to sethdunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.